And you're very welcome to Thursday's Richie Allen Show, live from Salford, where the weather is about to take a severe turn for the worse. For the worse, that's the one. Yeah, thunderstorms coming in over BBG Towers. Listen, I've got two very good guests. I've got two great guests for you today. Please comment on the programme. Chat with me through my website, richieallen.co.uk, where it says comment live at the top. The Richie Allen Show is the world's most listened to independent news radio show. All episodes are archived at richieallen.podomatic.com. They sure are, but this is live. It's a live radio show. I love live. Live is where I live. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yes, some bad old weather coming in now. I've got, uh, as I said, I've got two very interesting guests for you today. They've both been on the program before, but not for some time. Coming up this hour, Ramola D will be live on the program from Boston, from Massachusetts area. Uh, I I do believe. She's an independent journalist, writes fiction, she's a poet and editor. Check out her excellent website, everydayconcerned.net, everydayconcerned.net. Ramola joins me. And then the founder and editor of The Last American Vagabond, Ryan Christian, returns to this programme. He'll be with me in hour two. I'd like to speak a little bit about the 20th anniversary of September 11th with Ryan. So we'll do that and much more with him. Uh, so it's Ryan Christian and Ramola D, your guests on Thursday's Richie Allen Show. It is the 9th of the 9th, September the 9th, 2021. Yeah, and while I'm with you, this has happened now three times this week, and I have a feeling I know why. It's the blooming aircon, that's why. Lovely. It can do that to you, you see. It can dry you up a little bit. I've been running it this week because it's been very warm. Well, I'm in good form my missus gave me a lava lamp today. Isn't that lovely? Lovely surprise. I, I love lava lamps. I've not had one for years and years and years. It's kind of like a nightlight, maybe. But uh, surprise me with a lava lamp. So I'm chuffed to bits. I don't get too many prezzies. Oh, she's pretty generous now. It must be said. Boris Johnson, Matt Hancock, Chris Whitty, Jonathan Van Tam, Patrick Valance, Sajid Javid. Well, I could keep mentioning them by name. I believe they should be arrested and questioned on suspicion of manslaughter. That's my belief. It isn't uh, melodrama. I I really believe that. Arrest them and question them under caution on suspicion of manslaughter. News coming out of the UK today, unsurprising to you and to me, but maybe it is surprising to others, the, the number of people in the country waiting to start routine hospital treatment has risen to a record high. That's according to new figures. The Royal College of Surgeons says the longest waits were for trauma. Trauma. And orthopaedic treatments like hip and knee replacements, to name two. Now, they know there's no pandemic. They know the PCR tests are worthless. They know that most of those listed as died of COVID, actually didn't. They know this, that their actions are killing people in real time and destroying people's lives. That's why I say, and it isn't any ground-breaking or earth-shattering proclamation, they should be arrested and questioned under caution on suspicion of manslaughter, maybe even murder. 
It's shocking. I was walking. I'm not going to share too many of the stories. In fact, I won't share any because, again, it's wasting time, I suppose. Walking around the park this morning, listening to people phoning in the talk shows with dreadful stories of living with serious pain and misery over the last 18 months, consistently being denied treatment on the NHS because, well, it's all COVID, 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 COVID. That's your government. And this government wants to give potentially lethal treatments to children, despite the fact that the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation has said there is no need to give healthy children these jabs. It is sick. Now, Sinatra Gupta, a theoretical epidemiologist from Oxford University, she was on Kay Burley's Sky News programme earlier. Listen to Gupta describing some of the insane decisions made by the government and advisors in the last 18 months. She specifically here talks about how tools that are available to decision makers and health experts have been used for things that they shouldn't be used for. Listen to Gupta. First of all, we should be thinking about what the vaccine actually delivers. And what we've done continuously uh, throughout the course of this pandemic is take some of the wonderful tools that we have and push them to do what they can't do. So we have, for example, mathematical models, which are fantastic conceptual tools, and they've been pushed beyond their capacity to do what they can't do, which is to predict how many cases there'll be and how many deaths there'll be. We have vaccines which are meant to protect against disease and death amongst those who are vulnerable to those conditions. And instead, we've been pushing them to do what they can't do, which is protect against transmission. Once you take on board the fact that vaccines are supposed to protect against severe disease and death, and this was recognised by many people at the outset, including Kate Bingham, who said, you know, we'll vaccinate everyone over 50 and then that's it. We've done our job. And the vaccines have done their job. They've been superlative in doing their job uh, so far in protecting people against severe disease and death. I don't know if she believes that. I'm willing to believe she does. Maybe she doesn't. Maybe she's playing very clever with what, what, what she's saying. Maybe she's being very careful about what she says to ensure that she gets to to drop a few truth bombs. I don't know. But there isn't any evidence that these treatments are preventing anything, really. But anyway. They were never meant to be used to stop transmission or to allow people in particular settings to uh, make them risk-free. That's brilliant. They were never meant to be used to prevent transmission and they should not be used as a means to try as a means to making certain places risk-free, which is what they're trying to do. You know, you can't go to the football unless you've been vaxxed. You shouldn't do that to try and make it risk-free because it won't work. It doesn't prevent transmission, says Sinetra Gupta. So it is really not logical to use vaccines to protect other people. The vaccine protects you, um, which, if you're vulnerable, is really a very, very valuable Okay. thing. What I we really that. should be thinking... Sorry, Jessica. Okay, so, Professor, I get that. So, from what you're saying, can I extrapolate from that that you don't think that NHS and care workers need to have vaccines unless they want to? You don't think they should be forced to? 
Jesus, there's no flies on Kay, eh? That's exactly what she's saying. Here's the answer in case you don't know. I don't think they should be forced to on the understanding, but simply because this vaccine does not prevent transmission. So if you just think of the logic of it, what is the point of requiring a vaccine to protect others if that vaccine does not durably prevent onward transmission of a virus? So, I mean, obviously there are all sorts of ethical and political issues surrounding this, but we can peel it right back to the logic. And the logic is simply not there. It's illogical to foist a vaccine upon people in the hope that you can reduce the transmission of disease. And we've seen that. It's been borne out, for example, in Israel, where cases are rising despite vaccination. The good news is that provided you've protected those who are vulnerable to disease and death, we don't need to worry. So we are unnecessarily inflicting upon ourselves this worry that we will be transmitting the virus to someone who's going to die. Mm. Sinatra Gupta there. So Barley had a final question for her and it's about the children. A final thought before I let you go, Doctor. Absolutely fascinating stuff, Professor. Should 12-year-olds be vaccinated? I absolutely do not think that is um, logical at any level. I mean, leave alone the ethics of um, using 12-year-olds as barriers for infection uh, for the community. The fundamental, the bottom line is that these vaccines do not prevent transmission. So these vaccines do not benefit. In the case of a 12-year-old, it benefits neither the individual who is not at risk of severe disease and death, um, nor does it benefit the community. So all we're left with is a risk of vaccination. To ask children to bear that risk, to me, is just simply uh, unacceptable. Unacceptable is right now. The Scottish Parliament has been debating the introduction of vaccine passports in Scotland. And it's been having or holding that debate all afternoon. It will vote the Scottish Parliament very soon on whether or not to introduce the passports. But that is a given. It's a foregone conclusion because the Greens will support the government. So there isn't really any need for the vote. It's going to go through. Vaccine passports will be a reality in Scotland. The Scottish Green Party and uh, Scottish Green MSP Gillian Mackay Well, she said, look, we've got to introduce the vaccine passports because we need younger people to take up these vaccines. This is full-scale tyranny now. And that isn't melodramatic either. That's where we are. No other way of putting that, right? And it's getting worse and worse. Did you hear this today? I popped something on the website earlier about it. Kerry Chant is the Chief Health Officer for New South Wales. And at a press conference earlier... The woman uh, was asked about contact tracing as the region prepares to try and emerge from, well, its most recent brutal lockdown. You'll hear the vague question coming in and then you'll hear the answer from the uh, Chief Health Officer, Kerry Chant. Put back in place, especially with reopening and people going back to pubs and stuff, because our exposure sites still... Will they be put back in place to be listed once we are reopening? Yeah. She said, the, the journalist says exposure sites. This is what they are calling places that are considered to be areas of high transmission. 
exposure sites. So they are referring now to concerts and theatres and venues and nightclubs and pubs as exposure sites. The language is very important to these people. Because they're not. Listen to what this woman chances. Um, we will be looking at what contact tracing looks like in the new world order. What was that again? I'm sure you've seen this today. We've made a bit of it today, some of us. Uh, in the what now? Be looking at what contact tracing looks like in the new world order. We're at, going to be looking at what contract tracing looks like in the new world order. Jesus. At, yes, it will be pubs and clubs and other things if we have a positive case there. Yeah. Slow it down, will we? We will be looking at what contact tracing looks like in the new world order. In, in the new world order. Kerry Chant there. They've handed some freedoms in that part of Australia, New South Wales, Sydney, they've handed some freedoms back to those who've been double jabbed. And they've listed these on the Australian government website, on the New South Wales government website, I should say, excuse me. So the double jabbed can go shopping, they can go to venues, they can do those things. But those who have turned down the jab, those who have turned down the jab, will be confined most of the time to their homes, only permitted to emerge for essential exercise, to visit the doctor or for essential shopping. This is the year 2021 and I'm not joking or I'm not giving you some, you know, I'm, I'm not looking down into a looking glass. I'm not looking into a crystal ball, that's it. I'm not looking into a crystal ball and telling you what's coming in the future. This is the present. An Australian local government telling people who refuse to have the jab, you're, you're not participating and you'll have to continue to spend most of your time at home. Yeah. Overpopulation is helping pandemics. Says who? Says Luke O'Neill, that's who. He's a professor of biochemistry in the School of Biochemistry and Immunology at Trinity College Dublin. He wants primary school children to wear masks this dickhead. I can't think of anything else to call him. He's a bit of a darling of the Irish media, this guy. Pops up all over the place. Here is this guy, Luke O'Neill, speaking to Pat Kenny. Pat Kenny. On News Talk, which is an Irish radio station, today talking about, well, overpopulation. Because overpopulation... It's a big problem when it comes to pandemics. That's right. Now, that, that's the next question for scientists. People shouldn't be worrying there'll be another huge pandemic in the coming months that'll put everything backwards. That's very unlikely. But there is the risk of more pandemics. And we've known this for decades anyways, you know. So that even more now than ever, they're trying to pre prepare for that, you know, and try to mitigate against it, I guess. And, and there's no doubt that overpopulation is one reason for this. Because the, the more of us that are there, the more likely it is a virus will jump into one of us. You know, and overpopulation is being seen now as a big risk for, for future pandemics but overpopulation a big risk well maybe Luke will do us all a favour and go to the tallest building in Dublin and throw himself off it and do his bit for depopulation maybe and take his family with him and all the other Egypts in Trinity College Dublin too do your bit if overpopulation is a problem because the because more people presents more of an opportunity for those rampant viruses well do everybody a favour Luke and fall on your sword. Then Pat Kenny reads a tweet from a listener 
This is a tweet being read by the presenter from a listener who agrees that, well, overpopulation is a problem. Um, Luke is correct about overpopulation. It's the biggest threat to the planet, yet hardly any mention about it when you talk about climate change. Nature will always try to find a way. That's from Darren and Kildare. In other words, if we get too overpopulated on the planet, a plague will come along and kill us all. But it's very rare. These are rare events of of a bat infecting a human, right? It's it's an unusual mutated virus jumps from a bat into a human. The more humans there are, the greater greater chance the bat would infect one of us, you know? And the more humans there are, the greater chance the bat will infect one of us. Yeah. From the outset, and even before the outset, I've been telling you, haven't I? In the absence of the media, there, there is no media, the media is gone. These people feel completely safe, completely and utterly safe to peddle all manner of bullshit like this. Mutated virus jumps from a bat into a human. The more humans there are, the greater chance the bat would infect one of us, you know? <laughs> That's right. Well, the more humans there are, the greater chance the, the bats will give us one of these deadly viruses. Of course, the virus isn't deadly. I'm going to cut short my, my musings, my monologue right now, because I want more time with Ramola D. Ramola joins me in about three minutes' time, live from, from Massachusetts. Later on, Ryan Christian, The Last American Vagabond. This is Thursday's Richie Allen Radio Show. With me, Richie Allen. I love it. Nice to be with you today. As I said, some bad weather coming to the northwest of the UK. Some thunderstorms. This is the Four Tops. Reach out. I'll be there. Classic Motown. Welcome to your programme. Ramona D is next. So, that is the Four Tops, of course. And reach out. I'll be there. It's 19 and a half minutes past the hour. Thursday's programme. The last Richie Allen radio show of this week. And I've got two great guests. Ryan Christian later on. Before that... She came on this programme late last year and was terrific. It was great getting to know her. She runs a fantastic site called everydayconcerned.net. Please check that out, by the way, if you haven't. I'm pretty sure you may have done already. Everydayconcerned.net. She is an independent journalist, fiction writer, editor and poet with a background in science management and literature. She researches issues in many, many subjects, topics like science, technology and ethics, all relevant to our times. I'm delighted to welcome back to the programme Ramola D. Hey Ramola, how are you? I'm very good, Richie. Thank you so much for having me on again. Lovely to be back. It's great. It's been genuinely too long. It should have happened quite a bit sooner. I was watching a bit of Infowars yesterday. And uh, oh, okay. you—it you were on, and yes. uh, I was really interested in what you were saying, and it was brilliantly put together and brilliantly briefed. And as I was watching it, I was online, and you were online, and I said, "Jesus, it's been a while since you spoke with <laughs> yeah. Ramola, so get her on." So, 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 thanks for giving us uh, the time. I love your your website, and can I ask you to, you to explain something for me, which mm-hmm. um, fascinates me? You. Um, you said recently on, on your site that you see yourself these days as more of an illuminator. That's a fascinating <laughs> term and a really interesting. Well, what do you yeah. mean by that? 
Yeah, you know, this has to do with the term activist and the fact that, well, one of the subjects that I am studying and that I'm researching and writing about, Richie, as you may know, if you've looked at some of my past work, is the whole spectrum of surveillance, you know, surveillance that is being leveled at many people around the world, but particularly in the USA, and sort of the history of surveillance, how it connects with COINTELPRO, etc., and the fact that currently today, electromagnetic weapons are being used against people. So this has been definitely one of the subjects I've been studying quite a bit. And um, in studying what the FBI does, you know, because inevitably you have to look at the FBI when you look at COINTELPRO and you look at surveillance, uh, you begin to discover that um, after 9-11 and with the Patriot Act, uh, many, many different categories of people have been targeted as a suspect by the FBI, very wrongfully. And these are people, you know, who are journalists like you and me, people just speaking out, doing media, uh, whistleblowers. Um, activists of very many different kinds, whether you're an animal rights activist, an environmental justice activist, social justice activist, whatever, you come under the, you know, the BD and CDI of the FBI and uh, inevitably get blacklisted. You're always written up. If you're an activist, you can be very certain you're in a database yeah. and you're probably in multiple databases because they kind of cross-link these databases uh, currently, it appears. You know, the NSA, the CIA, the FBI, etc. And there is most definitely a war against the people and against activism and activists. And this has been happening literally for, boy, maybe a hundred years at this point, you know, and certainly goes back to the time of the Vietnam War, the 1960s and all of that. So um, I have indeed been calling myself an activist and I'm happy to call myself an activist because I think all of us are activists. You know, anybody who speaks for humanity, anybody who fights for any cause is an activist. But at the same time, we are not just engaging in kind of, what is the word, pointless activism. We're not just protesting and we are not the kind of people who can be clubbed in with um, the, the lunatics, sorry to use that word, but you know, who start engaging in massive rioting and um, extremely violent behaviors such as the Antifa, such as the Black Lives Matter people, many people who are in, engage in these groups who engage in um, you know, kind of ruthless, I, I don't call that activism, that's sort of rioting, and it always appears to be put up by somebody else, whether it's George Soros or some other group, you know, some other faction, there's some political putting up behind it. So I wanted to disassociate from that connotation, you see, in terms of activism, and uh, say that no, people like me who are doing journalism and speaking out for the rights of people, we're activists, yes, but we are not, um, you know, protesters in a rioting capacity whatsoever. So we are more like illuminators. And that's where my terminology interest comes from. Very important, I think. And isn't it funny sometimes how the stars align? So I invited you to come back yesterday. I was delighted when you said you would. And as I was preparing for the programme this morning, I was just, just by pure luck, I saw a BBC News report on Havana Syndrome. 
And oh, it was boy. fascinating. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what made me laugh now? They, so they talked about how how American um, intelligence agents and, and diplomats felt that they were being pulsed when they were in Havana. And also mm-hmm. some of them felt they were being pulsed when they were in Moscow. And of course, typical of the legacy media, they immediately jumped to, you know, the conclusion that this is being done by the Russians or the Cubans. When, when mm-hmm. all the evidence says the opposite, the, the people in Havana began to be pulsed when the US opened up diplomatic channels with Cuba again, which, regardless mm-hmm. of what we think about these things, can't be a bad thing. When, so, so when this happened, so to me, it, 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 it would have all the hallmarks of, you know, US intelligence agencies or, or British mm-hmm. intelligence agencies or mm-hmm. Israeli intelligence agencies. But it's funny you mentioned the attacks now. What do you think of this? And isn't it funny that all of a sudden they're, they're, they're talking openly about microwave weapons that can do, you know, mm-hmm. very serious harm to people? Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought up this topic because not many people are willing to go there. And I'm glad to see that you are going there, Richie. Um, So, yeah, so you're right. The Havana syndrome, you know, blaming Russia, blaming Cuba, it's an absolute joke. And, you know, look at the irony of who is suddenly coming into mainstream media attention, and that is the CIA or diplomats. So you see, you've got these guys, diplomats from the Department of State, you know, and you've got um, the CIA, agents of the CIA, suddenly reporting uh, being hit. So suddenly you've got the CIA agentry becoming uh, presented in the press as victims, as victims of yeah. somebody else's <laughs> electromagnetic weapon attacks. When in actuality, if you delve into the history and you go back to you know the history of how electromagnetic weapons have been developed in this country, in the U.S. and in the U.K., I think it's all been very close. Um, you know, we're going back to the U.S. Navy. We're going back to the 50s and the 60s, and um, Toward the 70s and 80s, there began to be a lot of understanding set up between the Department of Justice, the Department of Defense, um, you know, the criminal justice system to use non-lethal weapons and crowd control technologies. And this is the language and the terminology with which they are hiding the fact that they are indeed using microwave weapons on people inside America, inside the United Kingdom. People are being hit with these weapons and also, by the way, neurotechnology. So this is very very closely associated. They're both remote access biohacking and neurohacking weapons. And it's totally not covered in mainstream media. It has totally been cut off. And it's this is why it is such a remarkable irony that that their first mention of this in mainstream media is uh, through sort of um, disassociating it from it somewhat and pushing it out to a foreign location, putting a foreign name on it, you know, the Havana syndrome, etc. When in actuality, it has become a run-of-the-mill fusion center attack by people. It's part of COINTELPRO. It's being used as a repressive tactic, as a domestic pacification tactic, as military operations other than um, war fair, um, but it's also being used in uh, weapon testing programs and biomedical research testing programs. These are all linked, you see, and that connects actually to what is going on right now today with the COVID vaccines well, and the well census of the vaccines. Well said, and I, and I want you to talk a little bit about that in a moment, if you don't mind, because you've just, you've just touched on something very important. It, if they want to introduce the concept of these weapons to the public, 
to the public consciousness. And if their mm-hmm. reasoning for doing that is just to blame the Russians and the Chinese and the Cubans or whatever for something else, isn't it almost like um, scoring an own goal, Ramola? I'll tell you why. Because mm. they're making people aware that these things exist that never did before. I mean, the BBC interviewed James Lynn. Now, I interviewed James Lynn years and years and oh. years ago. Oh, a decade ago. He came on a programme with me. He wouldn't come on now uh, because, because I'd be well known now for doing these types of programmes. But nobody knew me when he first came on with me. Uh, he's, but for our listeners, he's a professor at the University of Illinois. And he's very much interested in these Weapons and the mm-hmm. BBC even interviewed him, and there he is on the BBC talking openly about these weapons. And while I can't say that I've ever seen it in action, I've interviewed people over the years, and I believe the people who I interviewed were telling me the truth when they said mm-hmm. that they've been the victims of these weapons. I absolutely think you're you're bang on, Ramola, and I'm I'm going to be fascinated now to hear um, the connection between these weapons that have been around since when since the fifties. 60s, maybe mm-hmm. even before then, there those weapons connection with the with the COVID jabs, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's amazing that you interviewed um, Dr. James Lynn because, yeah, he's one of those people like Dr. Alan Frey that they have permitted to come to the forefront and be interviewed. You know, Dr. Alan Frey is the one who made um, the Frey hearing or the microwave hearing effect so famous, right? And yeah. I guess he uh, discovered or, ex- or invented it or right? created it or manufactured yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and that is putting microwaves, using microwaves to put sound in sound signals into people's heads, which is, you know, now known as voices in people's heads, V2K, etc. And there's a variety of methodologies today whereby that can be achieved, you know, through using ultrasonics and whatnot. So um, Dr. Robert Duncan has done a lot of talking about that. And in the past, as you know, people who reported being hearing voices in their heads were always dismissed as being schizophrenic, schizoid, delusional, etc. And that still happens today. So this is part of the cover-up, the media cover-up that has permitted the situation to continue. When people speak about being a sort of neurotechnology, they are not believed, as you say, and, um, you know, or hearing voices in heads, they're not, they're easily and simply discredited by the cover-up mechanism, which includes media and which includes psychologists and psychiatrists who have spoken out and published extensively in the mainstream media. That's right. So, So, yeah, the situation appears to be changing currently to a certain extent. I mean, I still don't think there there is full credibility being given to people who are coming forward and speaking about these attacks, except in some certain enlightened media circles, such as yours, Richie, and I'm so grateful that you've been interviewing people. Um, today, what's happening is more and more people are perhaps becoming more receptive to hearing about it because they're learning about nanotechnology. And I think that may be the gateway through which they begin to understand nanotechnology and artificial intelligence and, you know, brain-computer interfaces. So there's a lot that's happening in public domain neuroscience that's sort of come into the open now with brain-computer interfaces. Uh, But there's a lot of also very dark science coming to the fore when you hear Elon Musk talk, for instance, about Neuralase and Neuralink and all that, I think people are beginning to become aware that there are certain people in the technocratic sphere 
who desperately want to control other people, who want to neuromodulate people, who want to electronically stimulate people's brains so that they can keep people's brains degraded to a certain level, so that they can control what people think, what people feel, you know, because you can control emotions with these frequency weapons, and control, therefore, what people do, you see. So it uh, comes down to behavior. It's all biobehavioral modification or neurobiobehavioral modification. And while these seem like, um, you know, very dystopian sci-fi concepts, in a sense, I think people have understood now, looking at what's happening with the massive tyranny going on, the yeah. massive totalitarianism regarding pushing these vaccines and everybody, and recognizing that these vaccines contain nanotechnology, contain self-assembling nanobots, which can indeed affect the neurons of the brain and make people susceptible to external neuromodulation. I think people are beginning to come around. What do you think? You know, I'm beginning think, to become aware. I think you're right. I think what Musk and others are trying to do, you know, the, the, the neural interface, getting chips, getting the brain, you know, basically mm -hmm. merged with technology. You could make an argument that one of the reasons those programs are underway is because they might want they genuinely might want to reduce the Earth's population by a significant amount. And if you have mm -hmm. a lot of younger people hooked up to that technology, well, it might make it easier to convince them through programming that it's the right thing to do uh, to, to cull the population. I know that sounds a bit mad, maybe not to you, but maybe to some of our listeners who are joining on other platforms, because we have a lot of listeners who are joining. You know, they get, mm -hmm. most, of their, they get most of their news from 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 mainstream sources and they're new to shows like this they're coming here because as you just said there they they are staring into the abyss of totalitarianism yes i agree you you, you know why mm -hmm. else would you want to merge why would transhumanism be a thing unless you wanted to control every aspect of people's lives but they sell these things with these wonderfully benign benefits don't they things that are hard That's to criticize you know like they say we have this gentleman or this lady who's suffering from locked in syndrome we have this girl who's yeah. never who's never been able to see she was blind from birth. And I mean, who can argue with that, Ramola? You know, you've got yeah. to say, oh, this is great. This is great. But really, it's what what's underneath it. Can I ask you, I've got to, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't do this. Um, there will be people screaming at their radios and they will be saying, How, where's the evidence that that the current jabs contain nanobots or nanotechnology? Now, I'm not saying I don't believe you, by the way. I'm not saying that mm -hmm. at all. Um, it, it's just it's just that hard evidence. Is there hard evidence available? Well, I think there is. And this is something I've been covering for a little while now, Richie. So if, I would recommend that people go to my website and check out the many articles I've been writing since June when the um, scientists, the Spanish researchers, which you may, whom you may have heard of, the La Quinta Columna researchers, you know, oh, what are their names? Ricardo Delgado Martin and Jose Sevillano, they worked with the University of Almeria and they commissioned, us, um, you know, a group of doctors over there to do some research into a Pfizer vaccine vial. And this doctor, Dr. Pedro Campo Madrid, has produced a report and, um, you know, it's on their website, the La Quinta Columna, it's um, at the Orwell City 
website. This is the guy who did all the translations from Spanish and first broke the story in English online. And then um, I have it also on my website because I've been following the story. So basically, they have done different kinds of electron microscopy. They've done spectroscopy. And they have looked at the contents of the Pfizer vaccine vial. They later looked at the contents of other vaccine vials. And another group of Spanish researchers and a group of Argentine researchers looked at all four top vaccines, which is Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca, and the Moderna. And, um, you know, I understand there have been other scientists as well working together on this. I recently interviewed Dr. Robert Young, and he presented the work of of his own as well as this group of other scientists. And um, there are you know, spectrographs that show the chemical element content of these vaccines. And uh, Dr. Young actually went through his article. He had written an article, and I interviewed him on that article, which has all of these photographs and micrographs and uh, spectrographs. And he went down and explained what each meant and what it, you know, what it really meant. And basically what he says is, so Dr. Young is, um, you know, he's a live blood microscopy specialist. And so he, his expertise is in examining things under the microscope, different kinds of microscopes, transmission and scanning microsc electron microscopes, face contrast optical microscopes, and he also looks at x-ray spectroscopy and some other, you know, instrumentation that he has. So he explained that um, he's been looking at nanotechnology for a long time. He's been looking at nanoparticles in the blood for a long time, you see. So, and he has actually found um, carbon nanotubes in the blood. And he recently published these new pictures of carbon nanotubes in the blood of somebody recently COVID vaccinated. So they're on my front page currently. They're on his they're in his article, the scanning and transmission electro, uh, microscopy article, and they distinctly show the, um, the black carbon nanotube right up against a whole bunch of um, clotted red blood cells. So apparently that's what happens, and that's what Dr. Young has explained, and also another great expert in blood microscopy, and that is Dr. Antonetta Gatti, and you may know her name. Oh, She's yeah. one of the yeah, she's one of the famous Italian couple who did all that great research, published information on nanotechnology in several of the vaccines. This is, um, she published this paper in 2017. So she was looking at flu vaccines, tetanus vaccines, meningitis vaccines, various others. And she found all kinds of nano stuff, you know, bismuth and barium sulfate aluminum oxide, ferrous oxide in the vaccines uh, that she looked at. So she had published a paper and she kind of came under the unsavory scrutiny of the pharmaceutical industry and the Italian government. Her yeah. labs were raided. I mean, it's a tragedy what That's happened right. to her. And the media just completely right? ignored it. Typically, that, that, that is what we would expect. Nothing in the media. We're talking about a qualified um, woman here, an academic woman. You're right, I read that. And the reason I just mm -hmm. briefly jumped in there is because my listeners will be scrambling, our listeners. So I want to tell them it's everydayconcerned.net. That's all one word, www.everydayconcerned.net. That's where you'll find Ramola and this information. It is on there. You've got to see it. Before, I, I'm, I'm dying to ask this question. Has any of them offered any theory as to what black carbon nanotubes would be doing 
in these jobs, what would they be doing? Why would they be putting them in there? Does anybody know? Yes, and certainly this is something that they have all been looking at. And in fact, the La Quinta Columna guys who broke the story, they're the ones who, who introduced the fact. So these carbon nanotubes are made up of graphene oxide. So graphene oxide is like, you know, the super nanoform of uh, carbon that's taken from graphite. It's like a single monoatomic layer of uh, graphite, you know, which is, the, which is the thing that's put in pencils. It's like, they're not really lead pencils, they're graphite pencils that we use right today. So, um, that graphite, when you break it down to the nano um, atomic level, comes up as graphene. And 20 years ago, when graphene came onto came into the public domain, I should say, I'm sure the military knew about this a long time ago. Um, when it came into the public domain in 2005, the guys who supposedly are being credited with having, you know, discovered it, they won a Nobel Prize for this. And now graphene has become a really hot property in a number of industries, including in biomedicine. And here's the here's the lunacy of it, because there is a lot of studies out there that show that graphene and graphene oxide are severely cytotoxic, which means they're toxic to the cell, to the human cell. <laughs> and they're genotoxic. They can affect your DNA. So this cytotoxic, genotoxic substance has still been lauded and applauded as some kind of fabulous substance by the guys working in these industries because it has many, many properties that make it very attractive to them. It is a very electrically conductive. It has magnetic properties. You know, so it's being used in a lot of electronic industries, semiconduct semiconductors. It's like the next best thing since silicon was discovered, right? So the uh, yeah. people are going all gaga over graphene currently. But there have been doctors who have spoken out about what the graphene is doing when it, when it enters the cell. It makes the cellular membrane that much more electrically conductive. And it also, it's being used in these vaccines, basically how it's being used. And this is a detective story. And Karen Kingston has a large part to play in that. She's the one who kind of revealed that in the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, the um, vaccine applications, their, um, you know, what is it called, the investigational new drug applications, which is what led to the emergency use authorization dished out by the FDA, there was a lot of redacted material. And part of that redacted material she found through other means, digging into the patterns and whatnot, um, is information on these pegylated lipids that are constituting the cover or the, the casing for the graphene, which is being pushed into the um, cells along with the mRNA. So we've been told these are mRNA vaccines. The mRNA is being transported into the cell through the lipids, right? But in addition to the lipids, there is graphene. And now we have indisputable proof that this is true from the microscopy that uh, Dr. Young and the other scientists have made available now. So these photographs are in my articles now, and they are in Dr. Young's articles. They are in the, you know, Orwell City articles. They are online. You can find them. And um, they show distinctly the lipid capsid literally studded with graphene. So you can see it with your own eyes at this point. And I'm you can shocked. look at the spectrograph and see the content, which is carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, which is the, you know, carbon and oxygen, which is the graphene oxide content. I'm shocked at this because um, a very good and close friend of mine works as a security guard. And guess where he mm -hmm. does? Guess where he does that? He does that for the University of Manchester. And ah, the university, okay, so they're very involved in graphene. Pretty much. I think University it's basically, yeah, it's almost like the capital city of graphene yes. research. And I remember him telling me about four years ago 
he's a lovely bloke and uh, an honourable an honourable man and mm. uh, he, he doesn't tell me anything he doesn't he does his job properly but he says to me four or so years ago he says Richie this graphene stuff he said you wouldn't believe it and I said what you know he, 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 I won't give his name out on, on air and he said mm-hmm. and, you know he's one of the top security guards he said well the security around it is like nothing I've ever seen in my career oh Ever. That's is, really interesting. Yeah, he said ever. He, and, you know, he's a very experienced man now and a capable man and a very gentle man. He said, I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. He said, they're very excited about this substance, this graphene. And what can be done about it? He said, there's guys flying in from all over the world every two days and uh, you you can't get anywhere near it. It's, it's security on steroids and multiply that by a thousand. And of course, you know, it, like at the time, four years ago, I'm thinking well, it's some big scientific discovery or, like you said, you know, it's a substance that can be used in so many different ways. I didn't think mm. any more of it. And now, of course, I'm yes, hearing exactly. about it all the time. Exactly. You know? And I, I, you, I think your friend's information is invaluable information, Richie, because it points to highly nefarious usage of graphene, which is precisely what we are discovering through these vaccines. So you see, you have to remember that DARPA, um, paid for to fa- paid Pfizer and Moderna to develop these vaccines, to develop these mRNA vaccines. And all the people think that these vaccines were developed overnight. You know, you've got guys like, I think it was the Moderna CEO, CEO saying, oh, we developed it in two hours or something like that. That's not really true. There's a history of development. It's almost 60 years if you go back and look at the timeline. But most definitely in 2013, Moderna and Pfizer were given huge amounts of money by DARPA to work on these mRNA vaccines. And I think the reason that um, DARPA was involved was to introduce the secretive ingredient because this graphene is a secretive ingredient. It is not disclosed on any of the inserts. It's not disclosed openly by Pfizer or Moderna. And there's a lot of, I don't know if you've seen some of the, you know, skeptical mainstream media fact-checking coverage laughing about graphene oxide. because that's. Already but you know what they're doing? They're not debunking. I talked on this program two days ago about a Forbes magazine article. And the headline was um, basically the graphene oxide de- debunked. But in the, in the body of the article, Ramola, nothing mm-hmm. was debunked. And the guy who wrote the article basically said that people should just trust the FDA, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right. You know, he, he didn't say that he could prove there was no graphene oxide in there. No, he just said, well, you know, it wouldn't be in their best interest not to list the ingredient. They'd be liable. There would be litigation. This was absolute garbage. You it know, garbage. no journalism whatsoever, <laughs> you know. But yeah, absolutely. And as you know, the FDA is, is is indeed guilty of that precise thing, not listing the ingredients and also, you know, permitting all sorts of harmful ingredients to go through, which is what has happened over here. And this is why I think this is one of those stories that needs to gain steam. More and more people need to be informed about this and, um, you know, need to wake up and start covering this because it is huge. The graphene story is absolutely huge. And um, the the fact that this is being pumped into our Uh, cells through the vaccine and now it's being pumped into the children's cells 
this is has such incredible implications that you know people need to start wake up and yeah. see what's going on one of the one of the major um, harms caused by graphene in the human cells is thrombosis and this is something that those Larkinta columna researchers talked about right away from the beginning they said it causes blood clots and as you may know many of the doctors who have been looking at the vaccine injuries have um, and have patients you know who come in with um, horrible injuries and whose blood they have looked at, like Dr. Charles Hoff from Canada, Dr. Sucharith Bhakti, um, who's now in the UK, I think, or Germany, he, he Germany. Um, has stated that all these vaccine injuries are due to blood clots. And the blood clots they initially said was due to the spike protein that's being created by this mRNA, you know, programming the cells to create the spike protein, etc. But um, what Dr. Young has stated and what uh, Dr. Antonetta Gatti has stated in her own studies is that anything that enters the cell that is a nanoparticle is going to cause inflammation and blood clotting, you know. We have, so it's, you're right, and we, we have this situation here in the UK where we have this lovely term in Ireland. I know you've got it in, in, in over there in the US as well, covering your ass, except we say covering, <laughs> we yeah. say covering your arse, we say in Ireland. But you <laughs> know, the, the, yeah. the, the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation has refused to recommend the 12 to 15 year olds have one of these jabs, which is kind of incredible, really, when the agenda is obviously to give the jabs to children. But despite that, and I know you know this, the UK government has said, well, we, we'll, we'll ask the chief medical officer, we'll consider it, we might still give it to the 12 to 15 year olds. And then they said something, well, it's reprehensible, really. They said that if the parent doesn't want the child to be jabbed, if the child is deemed to be competent, even a 12 year old child, the child's decision will overrule the parents. And, and this is the thing now, there was an Oxford, wait for it, there was an Oxford law professor called Lucinda Ferguson. She went on the record two days ago and said this would be battery. It would be battery. If you took yeah. the child's advice and jabbed a child, yet it doesn't matter, the government steamrollers and continues. And the thing that really upsets me is why don't ordinary people then, why don't they smell a rat? Why don't mm -hmm. they say, wow, they're really, they sure are desperate to jab the kids with this stuff, you know. What's really going on? But they don't. They just go mm -hmm. along with mm -hmm. it. It's a very good question and it really makes you think, my God, people are being incredibly mind-controlled and they're being so quiescent and so placid. Um, you should be up in arms. Every um, you know, parent in the UK should be up in arms about this. I have been following some of the information coming out of the UK, Richie, with absolute horror and this notion that this week school started, right, for kids in the yeah, UK? Yeah, at school, these children can be jabbed without their parents' consent. So this is an issue of informed consent, and informed consent is is about clear and detailed information that needs to be given. You cannot, and you know, no adult in their right mind, no adult, uh, you just using common sense, let alone the principles of ethics and bioethics and whatnot, could ever condone a 12-year-old giving consent or acquiescing to a medical procedure for which no complete and comprehensive 
detailed information is going to be given. I mean, it's not even being given to the adults. So how is it likely to be given to the children? It's not. No. So one of the side effects, and this is the some this is something every child should know at this point, apparently in the UK, if this is the situation where a child can get a job by herself or himself, every child should know that uh, one of the known side effects of um, this jab is death. Yeah. People are actually dying. Children have died. Teenagers have died. You know, and they die within two hours, two days, two weeks, or two months. But death is a side effect. And when death is a side effect, you have to question, why, how did the FDA let this through? You know, how did the CDC let it through? And then you have to understand that the people who are letting it through are very closely connected both to the pharmacist industry, pharma, pharmaceutical industry, and to the eugenicist, um, you know, scenario as well, Eugen eugenics um, ideology and paradigm and way of thinking where they really want to engage in democide or depopulation. But you see, I think this is the point at which people kind of draw a blank. When I say people, I'm talking about sort of the normal, you know, going to a job nine to five kind of people who, are, who have a profession, who have a basic education. They kind of balk at even imagining the, that this could be true, that there are people. Well, first of all, I don't think they understand that there is a power structure behind our governments, Richie. No, they I don't know they that. they take our governments at face value. They That's do. And do you, know, do you know something, Ramola? Before mm -hmm. I forget, let me do this. It's everydayconcerned.net. Correct. That's everydayconcerned.net. Do, do check out that website if you haven't done before. Absolutely. And can I also mention my um, video channels? They are Ramola D reports, and I'm on BitChute, Brighton, Odyssey, and just starting up at Rumble, also Live 528. But BitChute has my regular uh, videos, and I have that video there where I interviewed Dr. Young, which is now, gosh, I think it's over 104,000 views. Uh, people are really interested in that subject. Go and watch it on BitChute and share it around with as many people as you can. Um, everydayconcern.net No, the point I was going to make is the, the only thing I can I can say about people's inability to see through what's happening is that for most people the government has never come to their front door so it hasn't you know right. they've 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 worked and you know they've 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 got on okay they've had a couple of holidays a year they have their children they've never really seen it i think many of us in the independent media not all of us but but many of us part of our realization that something was wrong did come from some fairly negative interactions with with so-called authority that's right and i yes. think that's what it is you know they they have no reason to suspect that anything is going on Ah, that's a very good point. That's right. They have no reason. They they sort of take things at face value. They accept, they imagine the government is there to take care of them. And, you know, they think that the guys at the CDC and so forth are the health experts, the medical experts to listen to, the science experts, because that's how they're presented to us through the media. And, of course, you've got the media to blame. The media has now cut out the voices of any doctor who is offering critical thinking, critical inquiry, or dissent to this dominant narrative that, uh, you know, first of all, that COVID-19 exists, two, that it's some kind of deadly disease, all of which is rubbish, and three, that, you know, we need this vaccine in order to have our freedoms back. I mean, I was listening to, um, gosh, I, I don't know this woman's name, but she's uh, one of the podium huggers, as I call them, in Australia, who was talking desperately oh, yeah. about, about um, 
how everybody's got to get vaccinated. She's looking forward to 70 to 80% vaccination in order that people get some of their freedoms back. Yeah. Or, I mean, who is she to tell people they get their freedoms back? She also <laughs> said, um, she also said in answering a question from the assembled press corps, she also said that um, she'll be coming forward soon to talk about contract tracing, contact tracing oh in, in, in the new world order, she said. Oh, she used that terminology? Yeah, this Incredible. morning. Yeah, this morning. So you yeah. see, this is it. They're getting more and more brazen and brazen. they need to be stopped in their tracks. And I think what you and I are doing right here is indeed part of that process. Um, Richie, we've got to keep talking openly about this and encourage other people to speak openly about this and encourage other people to get more educated and informed. That is absolutely my intention, to educate and inform people who have an education and because it seems to me the people who are educated are the most indoctrinated. If you haven't gone to college somehow, you seem to be a little bit smarter, <laughs> you know, in terms of Amen. government issues. Amen. Hey, by the way, listen, Ramona, have a listen. This is, this is the clip. You want to hear it? This sure, is uh, yeah. New South Wales Chief Health Officer Kerry Chant very briefly responding to a question from the press where she invokes the new world order. You, the, file this one under, you couldn't make it up. put back in place, especially with reopening and people going back to pubs and stuff, because our exposure sites still, will they be put back in place to be listed once we are reopening? Because they're not at the moment. Um, we will be looking at what contact tracing looks like in the new world order. And yes, it will be pubs and clubs and other things if we have a positive. There you go, Ramola. Oh, my God. That Shameless. is incredible. That has got to go around the world. Well, you summed it the up. New world Brazen. Order. Brazen. Do they really think they can get away with this? They cannot. And so this is what I think. I think people just haven't woken up because they haven't understood that this plan, which sounds so much like, quote unquote, conspiracy theory, is sadly, unfortunately true and uh, denotes a vast and most absurd and insane sort of psychopathic conspiracy yeah. that has held for 200 years and has brought us to this moment where you have, you know, a small group of techno-fascists who are very, very keen to cover up all their other crimes by continuing to criminally enact tyranny on the people. No doubt. I'd like you to do me a favour, not today, because we've got about four minutes left, but I did hear you... And I did hear you say this last night to uh, Dr. Kaufman, by the way. I did hear you say that you don't believe the virus exists. Now, I'll tell you where I am on that. I am, okay. I'm neither a, a naysayer, nor am I in the I, it does exist camp. I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I always listen to people like you because you're brilliantly briefed and, um, and, and, and you're an ethical journalist. So I'm open-minded to the possibility that, that it doesn't exist. But, but I have to say, most of my listeners do not believe that SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 actually exists. So in, mm -hmm. in the very near future, if we could have a chat about that, I'd be very grateful because... Like, I'd be happy to. It's definitely a subject I'm researching further on because, you yeah. know, I research both sides and I speak to people on both sides over here, but I'm also doing my own investigations and yeah. kind of my own... Well, I trust you, you see. I trust that whatever you find 
that's what you will bring to the table. That's why I'm asking you to do it. Look, I've got a, a piece of paper here. Glad to do so. Thanks, Ramon. I've got a piece of paper here from the CDC. You know, it says we have isolated the virus. We've got it here for people to research and all of that. Now, I'm not saying I believe them. I know the CDC has form, has, has history, has previous in telling lies. So it would be nice to get into that. I won't be, um, obviously, I, I don't plan to debate you or anything like that at all. But um, to be good to hear your thoughts on that, because I trust that. Absolutely. You know, you and I'd be happy to share what the CDC said to me. I mean, that's a whole subject in itself, as you know. I did speak about it a bit on the InfoWars show, show, so if people want to hear that, you know, because I did these four requests and got info back from them, and I wrote back and forth to them, um, you know, and the conclusion is they can't bring forward any info on an isolate of the virus by Koch's postulates. But you see, what they are doing is they are poo-pooing Koch's postulates. Yeah, that's right. I've seen, I have noted that, and that's why my interest peaked, of course. But look, it's an important one. What we'll do is um, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there for today. Folks, do go to BitChute and look for Ramola D reports. Go to everydayconcerned.net. Um, this is um, a very, very good journalist, a really, really good writer, and is ethical, doesn't have any dog in the fight, is calling it as she sees it, which is a rare uh, thing, everydayconcerned.net. Thanks for um, sharing some of your valuable time with us today, Ramona. I'm delighted to have Thank you so much, Richie. This was absolutely fabulous. No, brilliant. And like you, I'm like you. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of alone. I'm alone, <laughs> you know. Well, no, I'm alone. So what I mean by that is, if you will hear from me within the next uh, 10 days to two weeks. Uh, okay. if, if, if on the on the rare chance that you don't, uh, give me a kick in the arse on the internet and we'll, uh, we'll sort it out. <laughs> I'll send you a little note in 10 days because I'd like to share this information about the virus. It's very actually, important. So people know. Yeah. Absolutely. Because yeah, my listeners think that by not talking about this that I'm some sort of shill that I want to bury this information. I don't. It's just that I've not I've <laughs> yeah. not trusted anybody enough really to, you know, to, to talk about it. I, I, I really don't know. I'm open-minded and, and mm-hmm. I have read what's on your website and that's, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense to me as well. So, yes, let's do that. For today right. though, uh, the great Ramola D. Thanks for your time, Ramola. Lovely to have you back on and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Bye. Bye for now. Ramola D, journalist, writer, poet and editor, everydayconcerned.net. Ramola D reports on Bitchu. Top, top lady there. Check her out if you haven't. I know many of you will be well aware of her work. Great stuff. Right. Yes, look, you see, I'm open-minded. I don't know anything about anything. I really don't. I know I was very sick in January of last year. Deathly sick. You know, to mind this uh, man flu crap, I was in a terrible way. My better half would endorse that if she were sitting here. My neighbours would endorse that. Dreadful. And as somebody who grew up with uh, bronchial issues, and as somebody who has had pneumonia three times and was hospitalised with it, um, and was in grave, in a grave situation when I was 15 years old, I'm no stranger to chest and lung bugs. And I've learned to deal with them and not to get bogged down by them. What I had last January was unlike anything I'd ever had before. No mucus on the lungs, no mucus on on the chest, but unable to breathe. And then that guy in New York, that emergency room doctor, said something about altitude sickness, didn't he? He said COVID, whatever it might be or might not be, he said it might be like altitude sickness. He said don't put them on ventilators because it'll kill them. No matter what I took, I took a very strong steroid. I took steroid inhalers. Nothing. 
I couldn't breathe. And what saved my life, and this is no dramatisation, I am not exaggerating here. I sat up in bed one night and I said to uh, the future Mrs A, I'm a goner here. Because I knew that my blood was losing oxygen. There was no oxygen getting into my blood. I knew this. What kept me alive was the fact that I'd had problems in the past with breathing and I'd become accustomed to staying calm. That's what kept me alive. That was shocking. I lost, I mean, I was fairly fit anyway as a runner. I lost a stone and a half in about 10 to 12 days. Wretched. So that's why when people said, oh, it never exists, Richie, that's why I've been sceptical. I don't tell them they're wrong or I don't, you know, insult them. Certainly not. But I say, all right, fair enough, but prove it doesn't exist. First and foremost, and you know, you can't prove a negative and all of that. Look, I don't know. I was very ill and I've met one or two people, not many, because I know people who work in hospitals and they tell me that the hospitals were very quiet during the so-called crunch period of of COVID. So I I acknowledge that. But I have met one or two who had it and, like me, non-smokers, non-smokers, like me, fairly fit. In my case, I'm very fit. And they were, when they got over it, they couldn't believe it. What was that that just hit me? Anyway, I will be joined in a couple of moments' time by none other than Ryan Christian, the founder and editor of The Last American Vagabond, which is another terrific website. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk This is The Kinks. I love this song. Yeah, The Kinks, dedicated follower of fashion, Ryan Christian has said hello. He'll be with me in about 60 seconds' time. As the last American Vagabond.com. Check the website if you haven't before. This is your Richie Allen Radio Show, live Monday to Thursday at 5 o'clock UK time. Remember, there is a fifth show. That is Sunday Morning Melodies, every Sunday at 10. It's me raising songs and stories, chatting about some of the more interesting stories behind some of the songs that we love from yesteryear. It's, uh, I love doing the show. I really, I can't say that enough. I really enjoy it. If you happen to be in the right time zone to hear it and you're otherwise, you know, if you're not too busy on a Sunday, do check it out and listen to it with me, listen to those tunes with me, have a bit of fun. The only place to hear it is richieallen.co.uk. Once it's finished, it repeats about four times and then it is, as I've said a few times, consigned to the dustbin of history where it belongs. So, no, I'm not dissing my own show, but I can't put it on, I can't put it online for obvious reasons, for copyright reasons and stuff. So I do get to play the, the show live and then run it as live because I do pay a I do pay my, my subscription fees for uh what's the company again? I can never remember the name of the company, but I get charged annually for the very, very tiny amount of music I play on the Richie Allen show. But Sunday morning melodies at ten o'clock UK time do it's two hours and uh, most most Sundays it absolutely flies by. I think uh, a lot of my next guest. He is the founder and editor of The Last American Vagabond, a brilliant, a brilliant news resource. It really is. He set it up to establish, uh, to allow the free flow of information 
regarding current issues facing the world, the things not being discussed or analysed on the legacy media. And he does a fantastic job on there, along with the other writers who work with him. Let's welcome back to the programme the one and only Ryan Christian, the last American vagabond himself. Ryan, welcome back. Thank you, brother. How are you today? I'm really well, mate, and I'm thrilled you're back. It's been ages, and do you know, I think this week I've been thinking a lot about September the 11th and where I was 20 years ago. I was working in commercial media. I was working for a pretty big radio station, and we we gave a blow-by-blow account of it as it was happening for pretty much all the rest of the day. It was crazy. Of course, I believed it. At the time, I believed what I was being told. I relayed that information to to my listeners. And the obvious first question is, where were you on that day 20 years ago? And what was going through your mind when it was unfolding? Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting question that, you know, we all remember, you know, and, and, I, and I, that's the point. We should always remember that too, right? It's, it, this is meant to be an event that's, that is drilled into our brains. Obviously, the, what we're dealing with today, I believe, is part two of this whole thing. But I was sitting at, I was at my house. I was, you know, younger still at the time. And I remember waking up uh, hadn't, I, I was, I, the first part of it, I was, I was asleep and I woke up and had just walked out in the living room right at the moment the TV was already on. Somebody else had turned it on. And the moment I walked out, I just woke up and walked out in the room and I saw the second, the, you know, the, where, what we were told was the second plane hitting the building. Right. Yeah. That, that, that's what I saw. And it was just like, am I watching a movie? Like, you know, I was, I was a kid, you know, I'm just kind of like, does this real like I just it wouldn't resonate with me or wouldn't you know I didn't couldn't accept it as real when I first saw it you know like that must be fake it must be a you know TV an event and then you know you come to find out that we're being told this is happening and right out of the gate for me at that time it was just the, the typical response you know and, and the, the things you might expect from someone who doesn't understand how the world works it doesn't understand what's really going on behind the scenes and but this was one of those moments that started my path down that that awakening if you will yeah. You know, honestly, for me, weirdly enough, it was my dive into the cannabis discussion that really opened up the government malfeasance manipulation. But this really was an opening part for me. And I, I think it's um, uh, blanking on his name all of a sudden. Uh, O'Keefe, not not the uh, Veritas guy, but the other one, O'Keefe, uh, has said for a long time that he believes the 9-11 is a litmus test for people in this field. And I really agree with that. Right. Like and it's not really about whether, you know, planes or no planes or nuclear or different thing, all the different discussions around it. It's whether or not you can agree that our government lied to us and they still lie to us and that our government in a lot of ways were involved. I remember feeling incredibly uneasy that day and in the following days. That's how successful it was. So I was reporting on it. And of course, we continue to report on it on our mid-morning radio show, which was two hours long every day, Monday to Friday. We continued to do that, in obviously, in the days after, of course, because it was the biggest story for weeks and weeks afterwards. And when I look back now, Ryan, I realise how successful they were. We were petrified in Ireland. And we, we even had... I remember having a farcical interview where, where my, my presenter was on holiday and I was interviewing a gov- government minister and would you believe it? I was trying to, you know, grandstand. I was acting all big and bad. I was trying to tear him a new arsehole uh, because we didn't have iodine tablets for, for Irish people. Because uh, we, 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 you know, we'd fallen for it so much that we thought some of these nasty Arab men might come for us and this time they might have a nuclear weapon. So I was screaming abuse at politicians on air asking them, why do we not have iodine tablets? I can't believe that 20 years later, but that's right. where I was. I was terrified. 
You know, and if I can make a point right there, I think it's so important that we remember that and we remember in the context of today, because obviously not just the point that I think this is part two, but the overlap of the propaganda of how the influence, the manipulation of where then versus now in COVID. But we have to remember that everybody has a time before they realize the lies. And that doesn't necessarily always mean that they're just manipulators or liars or shills or whatever that we, you know, there's, I've, I mean, you could go back through my 15, 10 plus years of doing this. And I guarantee some of the things I said when I was fresh into this and really didn't understand that you could contrast with what I'm saying today and make yeah. me look like ridiculous, you know, but the we all evolve and it's all really about the, if you, our ability to evolve with the information and, and come to new conclusions about what we can see the full picture, you know? So yeah, I, I, there's plenty of things like that that evolved over time, especially around nine 11, but the crossover for me is just so plainly obvious. Like you mentioned the concept of, you know, the, the whole thing was anybody, anybody in the Middle East was a bad person after That's this, right. like no matter what. And that was not even very, uh, very hidden. It was, it was right on the face, right? The media, everybody was freaking out about this. And we can look back now and obviously see that a lot of this was manipulation lies. A lot of very people they were hyping were people they were funding, right? But look <laughs> right. at the crossover for COVID-19. Look at what's happening right now. It's the exact same thing. The hyperbolic propaganda making anybody even remotely saying something in the wheelhouse of this conversation, whether vaccines or ivermectin or whatever we're talking about, making them all seem like crazy maniac terrorists. And I say terrorists because Biden is now saying on his executive order that anybody that's pushing misinformation, people that are, you know, don't believe the government, they're actually potentially domestic terrorists. That, has serious, that has serious implications for you. I know it yes. does. I've been reading you for years and I only invite journalists on this programme that I believe, believe what it is they write. It doesn't matter to me whether the last American vagabond is right or wrong. You're right most of the time in what you say, in my opinion. All that matters to me is that you believe it because there's an authenticity to what you do. So I'll invite you on uh, and others like you and, and I'm thrilled okay. to have you on. But of course that, that does have serious implications for what you're doing. And of course, because your website is so widely um, used and, and read, of course, you've got to be very concerned about the implications of what Biden is saying. Oh, absolutely. I mean, th this has always been a plan. Whitney Webb and I have been laying this out since the beginning of COVID-19, or really since the beginning of the election. We did a whole election special but, and, and did the and laid out the crossover, right? How this is leading to exactly where, you know, the domestic terrorism concept, the white supremacy working with Iran, targeting vaccine infrastructure, like it's really weird, nebulous concept that's bringing all this stuff together and and blending the security state with the biosecurity state. And the, to your point is that they're framing people like me who and to your and to your other point, you know, we, of course, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before and I always correct myself later in a different show. Yeah, but. It's about trying to be objective and researching and you know, covering these things. And the point is that they're trying to frame people like me who are going out of their way to be objective. I jokingly say irritatingly objective today <laughs> and, 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 and showing the peer reviewed studies, you know, like giving you the material. And they're framing me as a as a like not just like a, a misinformer, but a terrorist. Like I am literally killing people. And our government has already made that connection. They blatantly stated this, that if you say these things, you are killing people. Lockstep and then. We have lockstep because this exactly. government is going to publish an online harms bill, which is going to say right. the very same thing that it is dangerous. It is, it is, it is compromising people's health to put out misinformation. And by the way, your approach is the approach I used to teach broadcasting to, well, would be broadcasters. And I love people who, who use phrases like, well, it could be argued. 
And that's that, that. That's what I get from you and from from your colleagues. Is you know I don't get. Hey, it was a false flag, man. It was the American people, man. Wake up! I don't get that. What I get from you is well, you know, it could be argued if you looked at it from this point of view. That's brilliant. That's how you get people to, you know, to consider your point of view, and you do a great job of that. But they're in lockstep, aren't they, Ryan? Because this government is saying the same thing as Biden is saying, and I'm sure they're saying it in France. I'm sure they're saying it in in Spain. You know uh, that 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 your opinion might harm somebody. So we've got to stop yep. your opinion. Exactly. And 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 I'm sure you, in, in your mind, thinking of the, or at least referencing the lockstep document as well, for those that don't know that, I'm sure you do if you watch Richie's show, but the lockstep document, you know, the Rockefeller Foundation was put out long before this and it outlines exactly what's happening right now. And it's not just around COVID, but that's clearly a factor, you know? And yes, I, I see this completely... I don't know how anybody honest with themselves cannot see the coordination between these governments. I mean, if you pretend that even the term conspiracy doesn't like it's fake, then you obviously don't know that there's a legal term conspiracy and that people are charged with conspiracy in our current judicial system every day. Every so day. it's funny how we can look over here and see literally every government doing in lockstep the same exact uh you know, lockdowns, masks, all of it. You know, it just shows you there's coordination here. This is a literal worldwide, and you can use conspiracy right there if you want, or you can say coordination. It's the same concept. And it just shows you that they're working towards an agenda. Now, some of them might believe they're doing the right thing, right? But when we see things like what's happening in your country, what's happening in the United States, what's happening in Australia, it is creating a situation where people who have differing opinions are now bad. Even terrorists, obviously, as we're seeing today, but they need to be relegated to the corner. They need to be controlled. They need to be stifled. They need to be muzzled, literally and physically, and, and, you know, a hype, uh, uh, metaphorically. Yeah, that's right. right. And, 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 but this leads into the technocratical part of this, right, where we're now seeing them use this stuff and build infrastructure around it using the new things they're putting out, like the new bills in Australia or, or uh, elsewhere around the world. And what you just mentioned for, for Ireland, right? The point is that, especially Australia, this is the, the I see it kind of the, the tip of the spear right now and what they're trying to show is they just did Orwellian type of app, like facial recognition apps where if you, oh, by the way, Israel just did the same thing. If you are in quarantine, you have to, every random, at random intervals, but 15 minutes or so, you're going to get a call and you have to confirm with your facial recognition that it is you. There's There's digital quarantine monitoring where they can track you, where you go. And, and the U.S. just got exposed for using what they call geofence warrants. Apparently, it's like the fourth, a fourth of all the warrants this country uses. Think about that. And what those are is a way to geofence in certain phones and who's using them and where they are. I mean, this this they're tracking what we're doing, and this is an infrastructure concept that's going to go beyond COVID-19. They've already referenced climate change for one of the reasons they'll use these things, but, you know, the sky's the limit, as the government sees it. The sky's the limit. Ryan Christian is our guest. You heard... It's the last American vagabond.com. I know you know the website, folks, but uh, if you don't, check it out, bookmark it, read uh, the excellent uh, articles on there. So you heard this woman in New South Wales, the health chief in, in, uh, in, in New South Wales, this uh, woman, Kerry Chan, she invoked the New World Order today in a news mm-hmm. briefing. You heard this, didn't you? Yeah, and I've seen it, 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 that's probably the seventh time I've seen somebody casually drop the phrase "New World Order" since this started. And I don't it's know why brazen. That's a conspiracy it's, theory. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And I, I, I don't know whether it's because the media is completely dead now; it's gone, 
and that they feel very safe and comfortable in throwing around this terminology or if there's some other reason if if they want to keep using it because they want it to embed itself in, in people's brains I don't know but you're right to mention Australia as the tip of the spear because it's tyranny there she said that they want to get 80% of people in New South Wales jabbed but she also said or, or her colleague said that we're going to restore freedoms to the double jabbed but to those who refuse the jab, well, you've got to basically keep, um, you know, staying at home and only leaving for emergency purposes. I mean, this is 2021. It's hard, even though, you know, I've been on a similar path to yours, Ryan, and I, and I have heard and, and listened to some great researchers predict that we would get here. I'm still blown away by it, that they're getting away with it, that they, that they can look down a camera and tell people, get a jab or... Well, get used to living at home and not going out and being arrested if you go out. This is insane stuff. And that's supposed to be a choice, right? That's their version of a choice. I mean, this is if you would have framed this back in the beginning, people would say like they did about everything else. That'll never happen. That's that's against the violates our rights. You know, and here we are. And those same people are screaming us down again and saying we're bad for not doing what they yelled us down for saying was fake news before. You know, it's it's ridiculous. But it obviously is the same kind of concept. And this is going to apply to a lot of different things as we go forward. But to tell people that they have to stay inside their homes unless they get a shot, an injection, that doesn't stop the transmission between vaccinated or you know whatever else we're talking about, that people can still spread, still catch, same viral load, same ability to transmit, you know, all these, it, it doesn't logically make sense. Like what, the argument that somehow that the vaccinated are allowed to intermingle because that doesn't spread challenges the absolutely easily verifiable peer reviewed science coming from all the people we tell they tell us we should trust. This is what keeps baffling me is that we are looking at the Lancet, the British Medical Journal, NIH, Nature, all these huge publications that literally say the opposite of what the media and the government are telling you is the truth. But all of the people on the Twitter sphere and everyone's stuck in this narrative just either don't care or don't even know it's there. And it's it's baffling to me. Is it deliberately illogical? My great friend Jean Ann Crowley, actress, journalist, uh, is listening to this with great interest. She says, first of all, that she was wryly amused that Twitter banned Trump but hasn't banned the Taliban. Uh, she says yeah. they're all using the mantra "build back better," including Prince Charles. That speaks to what Ryan said about lockstep. She says it's deliberately illog- illogical. They want folk bamboozled. Just before you come back in on that. A classic example of what you just described was Oxford professor Sinetra Gupta was on Sky News this morning and she said, this is madness. She, well, she didn't say madness, but she said, we are using the tools of science that we have for things they weren't designed to do. This thing, she said, doesn't stop transmission. It's completely illogical to tell people to get a vaccine passport. This thing doesn't stop transmission. She went on to describe that it's completely illogical and insane to jab children with this thing. So you're right, this stuff is in the public domain. Right. So that's deliberate, is it? To keep people on, you know, hopping around from place to place in their minds, bamboozled. Well, th- that's where you can get into the discussion. And again, this is my opinion based based on research and based on what they tell you is going to be happening over the last 20 years. I mean, that's like we always tell ta- they always tell you think tanks, whatever, where we're going. But it's a means to an end. Right. So th- there is a part of this that I think is really important. That's why we call I call it the biosecurity state. Right. There's a, a there, there. Obviously, the concept of how they're using these things are useful, whether it's about the injection and what their agenda is right there, point blank. 
right? Or using that as a means to an end to create the infrastructure for a vaccine passport scenario, which later very quickly and already seemingly is becoming a social credit score, right? These are things that are not hidden, things they've already discussed. Like I play this clip I just played again last night. I think Spiro is actually the one that made the clip. And it just breaks down all these very openly discussed discussions about the internet of bodies. And people laugh about this stuff on Twitter. Like, you're such a crazy conspiracy theorist. And these think tanks are like, you have people like Klaus Schwab, you got Biden in the front row, listening, talking about the idea that they're trying to interconnect your body via the internet with implantables. That's exactly what that means. And that's not tomorrow. That's not, that's not you know, yesterday, or, or, you know, excuse me, that's not 20 years from now or 100 years from now. That's tomorrow. They're talking about this as what we're doing now and what we need to do. And this, in, this, in how can they accomplish something like that? without a digital passport kind of scenario to be able to engage and monitor and track and know where you are, what you're doing. And this is the infrastructure around the technocratic, what James Corbett calls the digital gulag. The digital gulag. Right? You're not actually in the prison, but you're definitely in a controlled state. That kind of answers my next question. Those of us who will never, ever submit to one of these jobs What's the worst case scenario for us? Is it basically just that you're confined to your house? Yeah, or is it worse? And it's, again, it's a, it's a hard question because it really depends on, on where they are really at and they just, whatever, being the hierarchy enslaving you, if you want an acronym. But the, the group out there, the international, you know, uh, you know, just our government or not, it, it it's, depends on how far they want to go and push this. So they could make it mandatory for everybody. And that obviously answers that question, right? Because then you're a, a criminal and you'll be arrested if you don't do it. You know, however they play this, they can yeah. force it in people's arms door to door like we're seeing in other places of the world. I don't necessarily think, I think that is, you know, it's always a walking uh, the knife's edge with the, with, with revolt, with revolution, right? With people just literally having too much and just marching through the streets. And so I think what they're doing is like a scapegoat. They're like a, you know, a coward's way of doing it by saying, well, we're going to tell you as employers that you sh you should be doing it. If you don't do it, you're a bad person, right? And then kind of force you in other ways too, and then put it the onus on the restaurants and everybody else. And so then you create a situation where, like you're saying, you just you literally you can't get on a restaurant, you can't get on a bus, you can't get on a plane, you can't go to a ball game, you can't go anywhere, you can't do anything without seventeen masks and gloves, and you know your two tests a day, and you know so you can see that it's untenable. You can't get a job, you can't live, you will not exist in that society, and that's what Australia just said. Yeah. They're going to create another economy for the vaccinated, and you won't get to exist in that. And so that seems like the first step here. Now, the long term, to answer your question, where do I see it going? I see it getting to a point to where they make the world so untenable for people that they ultimately the majority of people get forced to do it. Just because they don't want to live this life anymore. They might now, beg for can, it then. What's important to say there is that we can stop that. Like that is what I see them trying to do. That doesn't mean that's inevitable, right? It's, if we take this, if we realize that half this country right now is still in unison about saying we don't want this thing, if we we could make this stop. You know what I mean? And if we get down, whittled down to the small percentage they keep pretending we are, it becomes much more difficult. So it's about standing our ground here, and you know, and there's going to be some hardships along with that, but. I, I definitely think that's the world that's being built. And it, and then once you add the technocratic part of that, I mean, then, I mean, then at that point you could just drop the vaccine part of it because it's really just about keeping you inside of this controlled system where you can get turned off, you know, Oh, you don't get your vaccine. Well, we're going to turn off your credit, but then it becomes, Oh, you don't like what the government said. Well, we're going to turn off your credit. Oh, well now you can't fly. Now you're on this list. Now you're, you know, that's where it goes. That's what's being built right now. Ryan Christian is our guest, the last American vagabond.com. You're going to be throwing up in your mouth on Saturday because you'll be seeing feeds coming in from New York 
And you'll have governors there, you'll have mayors there, you'll have all the dignitaries, and they'll be talking about how freedom was attacked. And of course, the great irony, and this is why you'll be throwing up in your mouth, you and Whitney and everybody else there, is because they'll be talking about how freedom was attacked, but, but they'll never beat our freedoms. All these slogans, the sloganeering, you know, they, they hate what we are and all of this bullshit. And that's the city where Bill de Blasio told people that they don't get to participate in society unless right. they take a jab. I mean, it, it's, what, it's, yeah, disgusting. It's, it's, it's disgusting. I mean, it really and not only because of the obvious hypocritical stance of what they're doing to people now while pretending we're fighting for freedom. It, it's the sickening part of it is that you get the Giuliani's. You get the people like that. that go out there and stand up and scream about how we're fighting. You know, we defend you and this brings us together as a kind. They are the people that are part of this. Right. They are the people that allowed the whether you're talking about the whole event or simply Giuliani's part on the ground or, you know, he much bigger part. What watch James Corbett's work on this. But the specific part in regard to, let's say, allowing people to go in when they knew that it was unsafe. Yeah. Right. Right now, you could talk to any police uh, firemen, most of the people that were there are livid with the government. They don't want you to see that. You like, did you know that uh, Joe Biden was at was told by the police, pe- the, the the captains and the chiefs of the New York the situation. Uh, um, well, I'm not exact. I forget the exact location, but these are these are chief people. I'll, I'll send you the link afterwards so we can correct that. But that these are people that stood up, that were there, that were part of this, that were leaders in these communities of police and, and firemen, and said, "Biden, you're not welcome at the at the at the memorial." Now think about how big that is, and the it's fact huge. that they are still going to go up there and act like they're say you know that they're on the same page, and that the firemen and the policemen are all there together, and we're all working. They don't want these people there because they know that they were part of something at the very least that they allowed these people to be hurt. You know, and when I say that for people that don't maybe know the full story, they let people, the first responders, go in when they knew, and it was proved later knew that the material in the air, the uh, the stuff that from from the explosions, everything was happening was very dangerous to their health. Yeah. And that's why they're all riddled with cancer now. And and so many have died. Because we're yeah. on because we're on such a you know, notable anniversary, can can we just stay with September eleventh just for a couple of minutes and, and just have a kind of a general chat sure. about it? I think you're right, I think. Maybe I'm maybe I'm misquoting you now. And by misquoting I don't mean something you said previous, but something you might have said today. You know, people do get, I think, hung up on how it happened in terms of logistically and and I, I think people have fallen out over the years and they shouldn't have fallen out because we, we all know that the official story is one of the greatest lies ever, you know, ever told. I, I think we agree with that. When yeah. when you look back and, and you might say to me now, Richie, this is not important and, and by all means, mate, you feel free to say whatever you want to say on this programme. But looking back at it, do, do we think that Richard Gage and his, and, and his friends, the many thousands, do we think that they rigged it for, for demolition? Do we think that's the most likely scenario looking back? Or was there an energy weapon, as some people have said, which always sounded far-fetched to me, but I'm open-minded and this programme is an open platform? Right. Or was, right. it, was it oxide? What, 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 what would be your bet? If you, had, if, you, if you had five bucks left to your name, my friend, and you went to Vegas, what would be your bet as to how they did it? Yeah, I, I think that, and this is, the only thing we can really do, because the whole point is that it less, I mean, like with JFK, I doubt we'll ever we'll really never know, know yeah. based on the information we have, and that's intentional, right? And that's why I always hit it back to saying we just have to recognize our government lied and they're part of this. But based on the data, which is all we can do, based on the information, the research, the scientific studies, the, the Alaska study seems to be the, the peak of this for me that we can prove. Which is the reality, and I believe this was in coordination with uh, with uh, architects and engineers as well as uh, nine uh, lawyers 
Committee for 9-11 Inquiry. And they're currently, but, but there's a big a special on SuperU coming up on the on 9-11 uh, put forward by the uh, Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry. But they they were the really spe- uh, spearheading this in this study and, and getting it out there. And they're currently in litigation. It showed that there were, I forget the exact number, I think it was 74, I could be wrong, but it proved with their scientific research that it had to be at least that many simultaneous explosions based on specific pillars for the building to have collapsed that way. Otherwise, it was literally mathematically impossible. Impossible, yeah. I'm with, this, I, I mean, yeah. How do you ignore something like that? You know, yeah. and and then you can go in to prove all the other things we saw or really just referenced. Like, for instance, the firemen on the scene that were referencing explosions down to the bottom before we saw the stuff at the top. Like, this stuff just gets scrubbed from history, right? There were obvious explosions that happened that had nothing to do, and it was before these planes. And so they, before the, you know, they, they argue it could have been something that exploded or whatever. But the study is very, very sound. And then you get into everything else about, you know, the work they're doing there that show all these different, the, the lies and the manipulations and the, the willful deceptions around this whole topic. But there's a lot of other things around this discussion. Like you mentioned some interesting things and I wanted to, you know, cheer you on for that is that, you know, it's, it's amazing how afraid people are to entertain, even just have a fun conversation yeah. about things that the media has deemed conspiracy theory. It's like, can we be adults about this? Can we be grownups and not be scared away by a bunch of talking heads that don't know what they're talking about? You know, I mean, like, I don't believe I've seen enough evidence to prove a direct energy weapon. But I have seen some things that I thought were pretty compelling. Didn't yeah. prove it to me, though. Yeah. Or nuclear, for instance. I had an old writer that did a whole show on the nuclear 9-11 possibility. Thermite and the whole, you know, the whole discussion, right? And it's interesting. Again, I'm not sold by it. So I just, I stick, I stick to the points that we can prove. And I think to your other point that the problem is that people get torn by their different opinions. And it's not that they're not important. Like, for instance, the plane in the Pentagon, right? Is it important? Of course it's important. But does that, is it worth making somebody else who's also pointing at the government and realize, you know, that, and splitting between those two people and yeah. breaking your communities and, you know, and that's divide and conquer is what that comes down to, you know? I'm going to annoy you now. I, I never kept a recording of an interview that I did in 2010 with a man called Alan Kilsheimer or Kilsheimer or Kilshamer. And Alan was a structural engineer working in uh, in DC for a company that was very well known. Um, Jewish gentleman, um, not in any way conspiratorial. He came on my programme when I did a radio programme in Spain. He didn't come on, I didn't bring him on under false pretenses. I didn't. I don't do that. But I invited him on to talk about his experience of the day. So it was obviously September 11th, 2010. So I brought him on anyway. And in the interview, um, I brought him along and, you know, when did you get the call? And he got the call very quickly and he went along to the Pentagon. And he said to me, this guy was very honest now. He, he, he certainly wasn't part of any cover-up. But he said to me, um, the, the funny thing he said was, there was no trace of any plane debris anywhere, he said. And I said, you don't say. Do tell. Tell me some more. And he said, well, there wasn't. He said there was some structural damage and, you know, I had to make an assessment and write up a very quick report for the the authorities on scene. But they told him that effectively the plane, the plane disintegrated. Now, I know you'll know all of this. Everybody who's ever heard the story will know that they said the plane evaporated. That's not new. <laughs> but what was new was he got there before the first kind of collapse. There was a collapse after he'd gotten there. And I said to him um, during the interview, I said, you didn't think it was strange that there were no tail fin segments or bits of engine or anything like that? And he said, 
No, Richie said it makes sense to me. They told me that the, the plane. I I don't have a copy of that interview. I wish I did. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't mean anything today. But uh, this guy was honest. He was the guy. He was the guy. Alan Kilsheimer. They said to him, "Give us an assessment of what's going to happen to this building." This guy said to me, "Not a shred of evidence, Ryan. Not so much as a, a bit of blue metal." I don't believe for a minute a plane crashed into that, and I can't prove that. But I right. don't believe that. You know, there was a million well, CCTV camera videotapes were confiscated around the area. Right, uh, right. What, what do you think of that? Well, I mean, here's the way to, to discuss that. I would say, you know, because we're now talking about secondhand statements from somebody else and we can't verify what no, he we saw can't. or what he said. We can't. So I would say that if what he's saying is true, well, that's a, that, that obviously points to the fact that there's likely not a plane or, or that it was covered up. Yeah. Right. And, and, and but so the, again, it's, I'm open to all these possibilities. I, I, though I would point to the Pentagon more specifically, and, and or, or no, no, excuse me, uh, Pennsylvania. That was the most ridiculous one. Are you really going to point to a crater and like a couple of white pieces and say that that? that I mean, that there was no even. That's just a plane hitting the ground, and we're going to pretend that there's no plane pieces. No, like that, it's just it was asinine. You know, and the, the other one, the the thing was the melting discussion in the buildings. You know, yeah. like. Like the idea we see melted steel and the argument is that, oh, well, because of this or that, and then you can easily prove that it doesn't even reach temperatures enough to do so. And it's like there's all these little, you know, obvious issues that nobody wants to address because back then, if you even brought it up, you're a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. Same thing has happened today. And did you notice at the time when, when you began to ask questions, especially because obviously things were very raw for several years. Of course they were raw. I understand if you're an American and you're patriotic and maybe your dad was in the military, maybe you were in the military. I totally understand. I've always tried to understand people and not to be, you know, dismissive of them or to criticise them. I could understand why they felt raw. They felt America was attacked and they felt that right. something needed to be done about it. So I suppose in the early days when you and others were asking questions, probably, probably a dangerous situation at that time because people oh, yeah. were very raw, weren't they? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, you, again, you, like you said, you can understand because, you know, they bought the propaganda. Yeah. So they believed that this actually happened. And so, yeah, they, they were all worked up. And then, of course, looking at somebody saying that's not true, that the, the media and the government were telling them that's not OK. And you're supposed to yell. You're supposed to get mad at that. Right. Tell them they're on American. Right. The Bush and everybody. That, that, yeah. So you, could, you, it, it, you can't blame somebody for falling into a system of propaganda that they've been trained to fall into since they were born. You know, but it's, it's just really about. People that are when it can, is confronted in when they're confronted with something that can show they're wrong, whether or not they're open to look at it, you know, and that that speaks to their objectivity, you know. But even then, you know, we've been socially engineered in our whole lives. The the, the part that stands out to me, the big, the, the craziest part to go back to the buildings was the was the you know building seven. Oh yeah, and the idea <laughs> and the idea that. Not only all the little small parts that a lot of people know, that even the surface stuff, like you know BBC reporting that it fell before it actually fell. I mean, this stuff is easily verifiable. Or, or uh, what's his name? I'm blanking on his name. Uh, the owner of the building, Larry Silverstein. Silverstein, thank you. Yeah. He's on record talking about when we asked, we told him to pull it. You we know? told him to pull Everybody, it. Yes. What the hell is that? Well, everybody knows pull it is a very clear. And after this discussion, everybody quickly learned that pull it is a only used in an industry term in regard to demolition. Yes. You know, and of course, then you can point out how it was an obvious demolition and point back to the the Alaska study that proved that it had to be demolition. You know, but it's like there's just so many of these little things. How about the fact that the building itself 
fell because of some structural fires. Do you realize these buildings were designed to withstand? I mean, it's 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 insulting to our intelligence that we can watch a building in, I think it was India, burn for like a day and a half and it just stands there and it's not even built to the same standards as these were supposed to be built. Right. You know, it, it was it was controlled demolition and that's been proven scientifically and people just don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. Uh, my my great mate, Gene Ann, has said, wasn't it Mark Twain that said it's easier to fool people than for them to admit that they were fooled? That That's a right. great Twain uh, statement. Ryan Christian is our guest. In the few minutes that we've got Ryan for, go to the lastamericanvagabond.com. Let's take it back to um, this scam demic, as some have dubbed it. You brilliantly knitted together earlier on how you can look at 9-11 and, and, and then look at this and you've called this basically the second part of that because they've replaced the threat of sleeper cells and radical Islam I mean, radical Islam, I'm not going to say it does or doesn't exist. We know that Wahhabism exists. We know, but we also know that these lunatics are funded, armed and trained by our governments and the French governments and the Israeli governments. We know this. So that, 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 that's obvious. And you do great work on that, as does your colleague Whitney Webb and have, have done for many, many years. It must be uh, pointed out as well. Take, take the credit where it's absolutely due. So they've replaced the sleeper cells and the crazy Arabs uh, who want to kill us all with the virus, basically. Right. I- Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and real quickly to the first point that the 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 their the idea that they're real is is easy to point out, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are what we're being told they are. Like to your point, they're being funded, armed. These are groups that were created and used, and even to some degree got out of their control. So to say that there's radical Islam is, you know, it, I would say radical. I, I, it's a point that's hard to say because then you then the argument would be whether or not they believe in Islam or whatever else. So yeah. I'll, I'll leave it alone. But <laughs> the point no, is, I'm with you. there I'm are with people you. like that that are being abused. But yeah, it's it, it's definitely replaced it. You know, it is completely. It's almost. I mean, this is the point I jokingly make before, like taking North Korea for instance. It's 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 almost humorous to me in a macabre sort of way how. North Korea is the biggest threat to our democracy and the nuclear weapons. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, my gosh, look at this story over here. And now for six months, weird, Jim Kim Jong-un just was very kind to the U.S. government. Just He waited patiently for them to point back to him. And then he started being a threat again. You know, it's like, do they just not exist? Does ISIS stop being a threat until suddenly they bomb something in Kabul after yeah. Trump says he destroyed them and defeated them? You know, it's 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 weird how these things only pop up when they're when it's advantageous for the U.S. government. You know, and so this is a good example of this. It doesn't mean that there's not things out there likely happening, or maybe they're you know in other ways. But the virus and the discussion around it has become the new threat, and this is the new war. And I love to keep using this point. I haven't used it in a while. Whitney Webb pretty much coined this back in one of her interviews long before this. Our bodies are the new battlefield. And that's a huge point to really digest and understand what that means is right now, like you said, they're shifting this war to you. And it's always been like that. If you really understand the Patriot Act and what it did, they used all of that discussion, all the money being under the guise of fighting bad guys overseas. And they used it. and They pointed it at you. That was the bio. That was the security state. And guess what? It was pointed at Americans. Right. They claimed it was to protect us. But no, it was about keeping you, keeping track of you, understanding. And we can see that now. It built it right into this. Right. And so now they're shifting it over and it's the same thing. And now the battle itself is shifted to your body. And we and look, if, if anybody, even if they agree with this, can kind of feel that that's what's happening right now. Yeah. They would argue the battle is in regard to the unvaxxed. But it's weird how everything else out there is just completely shifted away. Even Afghanistan kind of happened for a second. I think that was there's a lot to there to digest. I don't want to dive into that. But the, there's. I think that even in a way, they tried to pull that back over to the COVID discussion. I Almost in a way, it wasn't meant to be as much. You know, I don't know. It's just, but the, it is completely overtaken everything. And that has to be noticed. No, you're right. And the, the, you mentioned the war, our bodies, they, 
they definitely want us to think of ourselves now as some sort of walking, talking, biological weapon, don't they? That right. we represent a serious, we, we might represent a serious danger to others. So, well, we better keep our distance. We better wear the mask. We better get jabbed. And, and if uh, I could add a yeah. point real quick, Richard, Do, of course, that, that is what perfectly leads into the technocratic idea, right? Our bodies, our humanity is the threat. This is what Corbett has been really nailing down. And the idea that's, that if we're a threat, if our body is the problem because we can get sick, well, what's the fix? We need to we need to remove that. Like right? we need to evolve. And this is what people like Tech, uh, Klaus Schwab are openly saying. He keeps saying the fourth industrial revolution is not about changing the world. It's about changing you inside. They're, this, they're talking about implantables and the Internet of Bodies. It's the same conversation, except the media and the government and the Twitter sphere refuses to accept that that's a real thing. And, it is and that's where thing. this is leading. Just before we part company today, thanks for your company, by the way. Love having you on. It's great. You come, come back as many times as you want. Our, our mutual friend, another terrific writer, uh, Spiro Skouras. Spiro's been listening to this, to this with great interest and he pointed out that um, it was brilliant of you to bring up Building 7 and we should mention out, mention financial crimes investigations, files, FCC files, yes. several government agencies, gold, gold was being stored at that Building 7. There were a lot of very powerful people who are glad to see Building 7 disappear. Yep. So yep. Spiro uh, says. Great, great, great point. I mean, and the financial part of that opens up a whole, again, I'll reference Corbett's Follow the Money documentation on that. But the, one of the interesting parts in that same point is there was a lot that was covered up here. You can point to the Pentagon in the same way. But there's an interesting point that Whitney makes in her research about, about Hauer and about he was one of the main people in regard to setting up a lot of these offices that they, they just opened up this new office in the building. And the one person who, guess what, was one of the leading experts on who? Osama bin Laden. And he was the only person that was to be in that building, in that office on that day. The rest of them weren't there. And he was taken out of the picture. And guess what? He probably would have given some good insight into why the Osama bin Laden discussion really didn't make sense. But too bad he wasn't too there. Too bad he wasn't there. Thanks for the last American Vagabond.com. It's uh, going strong. It's been going strong for some years now. It improves. It's, it's brilliant. But you're constantly looking for ways to improve it and what you do and your writers. It's great, Ryan. Thanks for your time today, mate. And you know you're welcome back anytime you want. Come back. Whenever you've got uh, a half an hour to kill in your board, I'll always be here. I don't go anywhere. I'm here all the time. <laughs> you and me both, Richie. Well, thank you for having me on, brother. It's always a pleasure. Fantastic, mate. Thanks, Ryan. The great Ryan Christian. Uh, God, uh, Godspeed to him and everybody else at thelastamericanvagabond.com. If you have, I know you have, but if you haven't checked it out, uh, go on over there. You'll be stunned at the brilliant writing. Uh, investigative journalism at its absolute best. It is exactly 13 and a half minutes to the top of the air. This is your Richie Allen radio show, live Monday to Thursday at 5 o'clock UK time. And the programme, of course, is archived on Podomatic.com and plenty of other avenues as well and places as well. The Richie Allen Show relies on your support to stay on air. Visit richieallen.co.uk and make a financial contribution now. To those of you who can afford to make a financial contribution, first of all, if you can't, don't listen to me talking about it. You continue to listen and to download the Richie Allen Radio Show, please. But uh, I'm a complete Amadon, an idiot, an idiot. A um, friend of mine from overseas was saying to me, I couldn't send a couple of uh, bucks your way th through the bank account. I don't know what's going on. And I looked into it and I incorrectly typed the BIC number for the, for the bank account for the program, like a fool. And the wrong number has been on the website for, for over a week now. Uh, I, that's absolute idiocy. It's my fault. I did it. I 
I uploaded that page. It had nothing to do with um, my great friend Hayden Hewitt. It was me. So those bank details have been amended. Because a number of you don't want to use Patreon. And I totally understand why you don't want to use Patreon. Fair enough. Um, but there is a bank account. There is a, an account number, a sword code, and an IBAN number or IBAN number. And the BIC number has been amended. So it's the right one now. I, I feel like a complete plonker because that's just stupid, right? But uh, I've never been that, uh, I've never been that focused on the financial side of things to my detriment. Because it's not about the money for me. It never has been. If radio was about the money for me, I'd be gone. Well, not now because they wouldn't have me now. But, but several years ago, I would have taken a very big offer and I would have done commercial radio. But uh, anyway, yes, I have amended the big number now. And if you do want to send, set up a standing order using the bank account, you can. It's easy. If you don't, if you can't afford it, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. Uh, there are others who can, and they do help out, thankfully, and that's the way it is, yeah. Uh, brilliant, uh, Ryan Christian, brilliant, Ramola D. Um, let me take a quick tune then, just let me take a quick tune, yeah, while I grab a glass of water. I know I'm very close to the end of the programme, but indulge me, I need a break for about two minutes. Here's um, Christopher Cross and Arthur's theme, speaking of New York City, of course, you know. Christopher Cross and Arthur's theme, Arthur's theme on uh, your Richie Allen radio show. Yeah, I get Apple send me the, the through Chartable.com, they send through the podcast charts for the UK. I'm going to do this again because I'm delighted, I'm just delighted really. You know the Richie Allen show is a live radio show and it's now averaging about 200,000 listeners live, which is ridiculous. That beats most radio sh- live radio shows in the UK. It does, by the way. It beats most of them. There's probably two presenters in the country with more listeners than I get on a daily basis. But then, of course, the programme is podcasted. It's uploaded to Podomatic. It then goes to Spotify. It goes to iTunes and all of that. Um, and it's constantly in the top 100 podcasts in the country for news. Now, there are tens of thousands of podcasts from national and local radio stations. They do a daily chart for some reason. I don't know why they do that. But little old Richie Allen is always around 50, 55, 60 in the country, beating LBC radio presenters, today beating the Spectator podcast, today beating Spiked Online's podcast, beating The Times, beating Owen Jones's podcast. I, I couldn't live with myself if... Owen Jones is beating me from The Guardian, but there you are. Uh, beating The Journal, beating Politico, beating Novara Media. It's astonishing, really, isn't it? Beating BBC News podcast today. Look it up if you don't believe me. Go to Charitable. The Richie Allen Show is beating BBC News today. I think I had about 55,000 podcast downloads today. It averages about fifty to 60,000 downloads a day. In the UK, that is, exclusively. In the, that that is, isn't counting uh, America. I've beaten the Today programme for the BBC today. This is amazing. I, I don't say that because it gives me in any way a swelled head. I've beaten Ian Dale every day for the last uh, two months. And I despise Ian Dale at LBC. I despise him personally. I interviewed him some years ago when I was working for Talk Radio Europe. So I am a little bit childish or childlike. It does give me a great warm feeling to be beating some of these guys from an independent radio show that is produced, edited and introduced by me and that is funded by you. 
Wonderful, isn't it? Isn't it a thing of beauty that from a purpose-built home studio we can hand them their arse most days of the week? I bet they don't like it very much. That's the closest you'll ever hear to me bragging. You might think it is bragging. But uh, I just think it's a wonderful thing. I think it's a great thing. And I'm, uh, I'm kind of proud of it, to be honest. It, it really is a wonderful thing. We're approaching, by the way, the seventh anniversary of the beginning of this programme. It began in September 2014. Next week will be the seventh year that it's been on air. And it's been, uh, it's been uh, brilliant, really. I'm loving it. I'm loving doing it now. And I've, you know, I've, I've come back from my, my, my break with a bit of a second wind, I think. And I'm looking forward to the coming weeks and months and uh, to your company during those uh, weeks and months. It'll be interesting, won't it, on Saturday, as the world's media, will, it, it'll take a break from COVID, it'll take a break from, from all of that on Saturday, and it will attempt to rewrite history, which is what the media does anyway. And it will talk to us about how our freedom was, 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 was attacked by Islamist terrorism, it will tell us on Saturday that Islamist terrorism remains a clear and present danger to our freedoms and our way of life, as the same liars, of course, go about dismantling freedom and introducing tyranny into our lives. It'll be fascinating to see it on Saturday. I'll be keeping an eye on it, I suppose. It's my day off, really. I shouldn't be doing that, but I will be doing it. But um, I remember where I was on September the 11th. I've told you the story too many times. I, I won't bore you with it again. I was broadcasting and calling it. Call, that's very American-ism, that. Very American media terminology. I was calling it. But yeah, we were describing it, my presenter and I, that particular day. And I won't forget it as long as I live. I became very embarrassed a couple of years later looking back on it. You know, because my presenter, who was a very honest man, God rest him, and a great presenter. Like me, he just bought the whole thing hook, line and sinker. And like me, he was happy to tell our listeners that we, the West, were at war with radical Islam and all of that bullshit. But that's what we did. Uh, some of us then woke up to it, realised that the whole thing was a crock of shit and that we were lied to. And that, of course, changed the course of my life. I was greatly assisted by a book that was written by David Icke at the time, called Alice in Wonderland and the World Trade Centre Attacks or something like that. I've definitely given the wrong title for the book, but if you want to find the book online, you'll find it. And a profound sense of embarrassment, realising that I hadn't done my job and that, in fact, I'd, um, I'd let my listeners down and everybody else down by not realising that it was a crock of shit, that passports don't survive, plane crashes, uncharred, Remember that? Oh, we found Muhammad Atta's passport. Oh, there you are. Buildings don't collapse by themselves and all of that. And there you go. Look, thanks to Ramona D. Thanks to Ryan Christian. Go to uh, Ram- R- Ramona's web... Excuse me. Jesus, Richie, get a, get, get a grip. Go to Ramona's website, everydayconcerned.net. Go to thelastamericanvagabond.com. Look, have a great weekend. If you feel like it, join me this coming Sunday at 10 o'clock for Sunday Morning Melodies. I look forward to that. This is just a bit of silliness. I'm closing out with a bit of silliness because I've not played it for ages. And, and, and it is a real song. Thanks uh, for being with me all week long until Sunday from the BBG. Look after yourselves and one another. Bye.